It's been a week since the World Economic Forum wrapped up. I know what y'all are thinking. Rob, you didn't even give us a recap this year. Folks, you know this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. I waited with bated breath for the wackiness from these wannabe Bond villains. I have to take the time and do the recap right and to parse out what I really want to bring attention to. And attention really seems to be what these global elites do not like. Let's kick things off with media treatment throughout this event. You will see politicians run away from the media. You will see armed goons and their proxies try and stop filming. If these elites believe so strongly in the WEF ideals, then why not engage and debate with the opposition media? The first clip of Klaus Schwab interacting with independent reporter Maseko Ganara tells you everything you need to know about these WEF freaks and how they view people. You clearly see their disdain for anyone who isn't running cover for them. Chairman Schwab, Chairman Schwab, uh, I'm from Japan. May I ask from? you for? Uh, I'm from Japan. Yeah. And may I uh, ask you for a comment? No, we're, we're on our we're no, on our way to you. the next thing. We're a bit late. Uh, oh, I but can thank just you. walk with thank you, you and then ask. Oh, I think we're gonna we're gonna rush actually. But thank you. Uh, Thanks very much. Uh, but, uh, which which uh, media are you with? I am an independent journalist from yeah, Japan. Yeah, no, thank you very much. <laughs> yes. I have and, to ask. Thank but you. Thanks me, for, thank you. Uh, I, I want to ask just, just one more question. Uh, thank you. Take care of yourself. Uh, uh, I can just walk and ask you. Yeah, thank you. No, sorry, we're in a big rush. We've got so many things tonight. But, but for us, but thank it's, you. Very, it's very. Uh, I know, I know, I know. Yeah. You can, I can, he's got so many people stopping oh, yeah. that if you were to stop for everything, yeah, we win. That's the unfortunate. Yeah. So I'm very sorry, but thank uh, you. But thank you for trying. Do, do you know the thank voice you. that uh, worry about globalism? Thank you. Yeah, I'm really thank concerned. you. Nice evening. Thank you. Thank you. Fine years here. How are you? Now, uh, tell tell us what. What's the Prime, Prime Minister? Hello. Mr. Johnson, Mr. Johnson, why are you here in Davos? You will have, you just, you would have just heard it. And Mr. Johnson, should, should Rishi, should Rishi Sunak really be here? Hello. Can you, Mr. Johnson, can you just tell us why, why you're here in Davos and why it's important to be here in Davos? Just, 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 just taking what I said earlier on. Taking earlier, taking earlier copy, as we say. But do these I mean, do these forums matter though in terms of kind of global awareness for Ukraine? Uh, yes. <laughs> do you think at least the fact these delegates take private jets is a bad thing against you know what you believe in? All of this could be done via Zoom, so surely. Surely you should be encouraging all the delegates here, especially the likes of US Special Envoy John Kerry for climate, uh, Special Envoy for climate change. Surely you should be saying to these people, you should be doing this via Zoom with a much smaller carbon footprint, surely? Greta, avoid my questions if climate change is a con. But it makes you wonder what, what, what intel did they get? Or... Why I ask why? Yeah, why? 
It's part of the news, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. But we don't like our faces in the old and in the old. Okay. okay. So I respect we, that. We'll blur your face. I promise we'll blur your yeah, face. That will it's be a promise. Huh? Okay. It's a promise. I promise we, we do will. our jobs. We have families at home. We don't need us in the I respect right? that. We'll blow your Thank face. You. Thank you for that. Fair deal. He says he doesn't want his face all over the world. We'll blur his face. He's not a he's not a personal story, but the police is a story. When you've got reports that five thousand police and military have been authorized, that's news. Isaac, can you just do an audience? Uh, yeah. Put on. How are you today? Hello. How are you? No good. No good? Why not? Oh, it's no good. Why is it no good? But it's a free country, right? Yeah. That's correct. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye. Thank you. Menzies rebel news. Hold on a second. Did you anybody invite you? Uh, who are you? I'm who I am. Okay. I am who I am. Please. 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 Where are you going to have all that? You know what? If you're not invited here, sir, you're trespassing. I'm with your CFP. No, no filming, please. Yeah, we can film. No. We can, we can yes, film. Yes, not me. That, not me. That's okay. Okay, thank you. Where are you from? Rebel News. Yes, but what? what is your interest? What is your What do you mean? Here? I'm covering the news. I'm doing what your bosses are supposed to be doing. Why did he get so upset? What's he so scared about? No, no I'm not scared. I'm not you, not you, not you, not you. Your boss. He seemed really scared. He ran in there and called you out. No, it's just we have to know who is out here. My name's Avi Yamini. Yes. I work for Rebel News. Yes. We're reporters. We do what CNBC is supposed to be doing. And he seemed a bit upset that we were asking some questions in the public area outside. Hey, doing so? Can I ask you what CNBC is doing here? You can't, I can't ask you? No, you can't. I'm you, you didn't put a camera in my face, thank you. Really? But you're here as an invited guest and you're an editor for CNBC. Don't you think that's a bit of a conflict of interest? I'd like you to go away. I haven't, I haven't agreed to an interview. If you're doorstepping me, like, go away. Seriously, take your mic out. Don't touch the mic. You're meant to be speaking truth to power. Are you here just to take your marching orders? Is that what you're here for? Do you want to go away? Not really. I'm here to do what you should be doing. Yeah? Please take this out of my mouth. I'm going to have you just score it off for security. Alright. Do that. There you go. CNBC. Their job is supposed to be doing what he's complaining I'm doing. And now he's calling security to escort me off the premises. Well, In their eyes, these independent reporters are the purveyors of disinformation. By the way, did you know that Joseph Stalin was the first world leader to set up a government department of disinformation? And what does the WEF want to do with so-called disinformation? They want to kill it. Listen to Richard Edelman, CEO of the world's largest PR company, tell you his plan for disinformation. So I think the first thing that... Um because I mostly work with business, that business needs to do is deprive um, platforms that spread disinformation of oxygen. Stop advertising. Pull your promotion money. Make sure that they understand that they have a consequential impact on society. And 
the boycott of Twitter for several months has had a modest, modest impact, but I think the Facebook one failed. And, but the necessity of getting it right in the platforms that are probably primary source information for a third to 40% of people is urgent. Our own director of the FBI, Christopher Wray, was also in Davos talking about the further need for cooperation between intelligence agencies and private companies. And I think the, uh, the sophistication of the private sector is, is improving and, and particularly important, the level of collaboration between the private sector and the government, especially the FBI, has, I think, uh, made significant strides. Pretty much every technology we could talk about today, uh, we see both great opportunity, but great, great dangers. Isn't that the very definition of fascism? the merger of the public and private sectors for greater control. And remember, up until recently, the mainstream media elites told us it was a right-wing myth that Facebook and Twitter were squashing speech in concert with the FBI. Now they openly discuss their working relationship to cancel your speech. Here is Field Marshal Klaus Schwab talking about working with Interpol the International Police Cooperation Agency. Um, one of the on one of the village partners, for example, is Interpol. So we work together already um, with the necessary instances to make sure that the system is as safe as it can as it can be. Vera Jehovah, who is the commissioner for values and transparency wants EU sanctions against platforms like Twitter that don't play by their rules. Oh, uh, our message was clear. We have the rules which, has to, which have to be complied with and otherwise there will be sanctions. Uh, the confidence has been weakened and I, I had quite high level of confidence when it comes to Twitter. I have to say that we worked with knowledgeable people with the lawyers, with the sociologists who understood that they have to behave in some decent way, not to cause really big harm to the society. I always felt that this, this notion of responsibility was there. So this is what I don't feel from uh, Elon Musk personally. She is openly admitting to being in bed with the previous Twitter teams. And what is the big harm to society? That citizens don't trust the EU? That citizens question the motives of their governments and big corporations? Here she is discussing that she thinks hate speech will be illegal in the United States soon. Well, we need the people who understand the language and the case law in the country mm. because what qualifies as hate, hate speech as illegal hate speech which you will have soon also in the US I think that um, we, we have a strong reason why we have this uh, in the criminal law uh, we, uh, we need the platforms uh, to simply work with, with the language and to identify such cases the AI would be too dangerous Clearly, hate speech is subjective. Aretha Franklin's natural woman is now considered by the wacko left 
as hate speech. What is more insidious is that Jehovah advocates for the First Amendment to disappear. She's not even in America. They want no resistance. They want you to sheepishly follow their orders. They hide their desire for complete control under this banner of a desire to be decent and kind. As you see in this next clip, a desire for, quote, public safety. The clear and present danger of disinformation uh, is our conversation here this afternoon. It follows a session just now about disrupting distrust. And of course, those are connected. So I hope that's where we can start. Uh, I'm Brian Stelter, formerly of CNN, now a fellow at Harvard University. We can try to put some real information out into the world to make up for all the crazy mm -hmm. with regards to 2016 and, and Trump showing that lying works. Has, has that only become more true in the, in the last six years? Do you see evidence that it's less true, hopefully, now? But haven't we seen many Democrats in the last six years pressuring Facebook and Twitter and now TikTok uh, to be stronger in content moderation? Uh, hasn't that been a wave that we've seen crash over for years now? Well, I think this is the question of, you know, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to, to achieve there is some measure of public safety. Right. Um, we we're not uh, I mean, sure, there are some politicians who are going to go out and just get angry at Facebook if they see things that are mean. The difference is when, you know, I have a constituency that I'm trying to keep healthy and I can't get them to take a covid vaccine because of misinformation that's propagated on the Internet. How about that, guys? You get fired from CNN and end up as a Harvard fellow. Talk about upward mobility. What Swap wants is for the global community to adopt the metaverse for the public good. The Global Collaboration Village is a pioneering effort to use the metaverse for the public good, to create global cooperation and to strengthen global cooperation in the metaverse or using metaverse technologies. And we are pleased to create this uh, global collaboration village in cooperation with uh, Accenture and with uh, Microsoft. So the idea is to bring all the stakeholders, governments, business, uh, civil society together on a continued, sustained basis. This is the next phase, the next big phase of development in the virtual world. It's especially important for this vision of a village without borders. It's an open development process, and it is an open development philosophy. You know, we're creating at Microsoft, through Microsoft Mesh, a software platform that will be accessible to people through a variety of different hardware devices. This particular project, in our view, is of enormous importance for the world because of the role that the World Economic Forum plays in the world. This is an opportunity to create a village without borders. The metaverse is make-believe. It is a world that they can create. It would be fully immersive through a VR headset. It may look cartoonish now. That won't always be the case. At the WEF this year was Duke University's Nina Farhani. Let's hear her talk about wearable devices. You know, I'm, I am a futurist. I'm not a perfect predictor of the future, but I'll give you my one year, five year tenure. So 
focusing in the world of wearable technology as opposed to implanted technology. And I do believe that within many of our lifetimes, we'll see healthy people using implanted brain technology as well. Then we can decode complex thought. But as healthy people in a widespread way start to have their brainwave data collected, the insights that we can gain through pattern recognition will exponentially increase and pretty quickly. So five years from now, what we can actually decode will be massively increased from where we are today simply because we'll have a much greater data set from which we can actually create those correlations. Again, that's frightening but promising. So you have recognition memory signals that are pre-conscious and subconscious, and this is part of why it's been used, for example, by governments to interrogate criminals. Do you recognize this potential co-conspirator? Do you recognize yeah. um, you know, this murder weapon? Those pre-conscious signals, like what we call the P300 wave or the N400 wave, these are before you even consciously process information. So you could prime it with a number and then see if a person recognizes it. Um, and you can do it without them realizing that that's what you're doing. So will all of our passwords be cracked first by this or quantum computing? Hard to tell. All right. <laughs> I think uh, we're moving past passwords pretty, pretty quickly. <laughs> and I saw a hand go up. It's actually really good for passwords. Neural signatures are unique. We can use it as a biometric for passwords. Artificial intelligence has enabled advances in decoding brain activity in ways that we never before thought possible. After all, what you think, what you feel, it's all just data. Data that in large patterns can be decoded using artificial intelligence. We're not talking about implanted devices of the future. I'm talking about wearable devices that are like Fitbits for your brain. Earbuds, headphones, tiny tattoos that you can wear behind your ear. We can pick up emotional states, like are you happy or sad or angry? We can pick up and decode faces that you're seeing in your mind. Simple shapes, numbers, your PIN number to your bank account. Meta acquired this company, Control Labs, in 2019 because major tech companies are investing in helping to make these devices universally applicable as the way in which we interact with the rest of our technology. In fact, the coming future, and I mean near-term future, is these devices being the primary way in which we interact with all of the rest of our technology. Rather than a mouse or a keyboard, you can simply swipe with your mind. While we can't literally decode complex thought just yet, there's a lot that we can already decode that's quite relevant for the workplace environment. In more than 5,000 companies across the world, employees are already having their brainwave activity monitored to test for their fatigue levels. Whether it's the Beijing-Shanghai line, where train conductors are required to wear hats that have sensors that pick up their brain activity, or mining companies throughout the world, employees are already having their brain activity monitored, and it, may wear, it very well may be something that we want to embrace as a society. Done poorly, it could become the most oppressive technology we've ever introduced in a wide scale across society. We still have the chance to make it right. Do you think these VR headsets will secretly be giving information over to big tech about how our brains interact with their virtual worlds? Do you think the data will be used to make us more addicted to these devices? Have we seen similar developments used with things like 
infinite scrolling on Instagram, Google's data mining, and digital ads that seemingly overhear a conversation and are now showing you a product? How would the World Economic Forum use this information if they are sponsoring this global community metaverse? Well, I'll tell you. WEF Agenda contributor Yuval Noah Harari sees a future where the elites have merged with machines and most of humanity is useless. So we may be facing in the 21st century a completely new kind of inequality, which we have never seen before in human history. On the one hand, the emergence of a new upgraded elite of superhumans enhanced by bioengineering and brain-computer interfaces and things like that. And on the other hand, a new massive useless class, a class that has no military or economic usefulness and therefore also no political power. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens because in the coming generations, we will learn how to engineer bodies and brains and minds. Now, how exactly will the future masters of the planet look like? This will be decided by the people who own the data. Now, why is data so important? It's important because we've reached the point when we can hack not just computers, we can hack human beings and other organisms. Now, what do you need in order to hack a human being? You need two things. You need a lot of computing power and you need a lot of data, especially biometric data. But control of data might enable human elites to do something even more radical than just build digital dictatorships. By hacking organisms, elites may gain the power to re-engineer the future of life itself. Because once you can hack something, you can usually also engineer it. All of life for four billion years, dinosaurs, amoebas, tomatoes, humans, all of life was subject to the laws of natural selection and to the laws of organic biochemistry. But this is now about to change. Science is replacing evolution by natural selection with evolution by intelligent design. Not the intelligent design of some god above the clouds, but our intelligent design and the intelligent design of our clouds the IBM cloud, the Microsoft cloud, these are the new driving forces of evolution. And at the same time, science may enable life after being confined to, for four billion years to the limited realm of organic compounds, science may ena enable life to break out into the inorganic realm. This begs the question of what do we do with this massive, useless class, as Harai puts it. Well, first, we would need to track their biometrics and get a database of all their medical history. COVID is critical because this is what convinces people to accept, to legitimize total biometric surveillance. We want to stop this epidemic 
We need not just to monitor people, we need to monitor what's happening under their skin. What we have seen so far, it's corporations and governments collecting data about where we go, who we meet, what movies we watch. The next phase is the surveillance going under our skin. We now see mass surveillance systems established even in democratic countries, which previously rejected them. And we also see a change in the nature of surveillance. Previously, surveillance was mainly above the skin. Now it's going under the skin. Embedded in his hand is a microchip that serves as his keys, his ID, and his wallet. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet, Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? In a matter of seconds, the chip is inserted. The transformation is complete. When scanned, all of a person's information about their vaccination status is shown on a reader or phone. Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. Humans are now hackable animals. You will own nothing. Would you will? You need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple, there'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have, for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for uh, a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. So as Tony Blair, the former prime minister of the United Kingdom said, the government is now going to be intimately involved in your health care. The same government that pushes assisted suicides, the same government that has been absolutely 180 degrees wrong about everything associated with the same government that can't even make an accurate food pyramid and funds research like the study out of Tufts University that said Lucky Charms was healthier than a steak. Frosted Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. They don't openly say it, but they effectively do. That this new world they are creating will be essentially the same as Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, where humans were classified into alphas, betas, gammas, and so on. Alphas are on the top and the most important, and your social rank lowers as you go down the ladder. In effect, this will be a rules for thee, not for me society, but to a level never seen before. So maybe you are an alpha. World leaders would definitely be alphas. You get to have meat and not have to worry about your carbon footprint because you are more important than everyone else because you wield political power. But if you are a lowly epsilon, not even fit to die in wars, like Harari put it, you should just live in the virtual reality world and eat bugs. Now the math would say, well, you need to stop eating meat in 11 years to compensate for a flight to Thailand. 
Yes, but if a billion people stop eating meat, I tell you it has a big impact. Not only does it have a big impact on the current food system, but it will also inspire innovation of food systems. And I predict that we will have proteins not coming from um, meat in the future. They will probably taste even better. So why are we trying to mimic meat if we can have a better taste? They will be zero carbon and much healthier than the kind of food that we eat today. You would be one of these humans stuck in these 15-minute cities without a car, geologically locked to a region without the autonomy to leave. Hmm. East Germany? Hmm. Changing the way districts work. For instance, um, I, in Zurich we have a lot of districts where you actually don't need a car because all the activities, no school, um, uh, buying something, everything you can do in walking distance, no? And by doing that, no, people don't buy a car and it, 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 it's not felt like um, actually they would like to have a car and, and they're not allowed to have it, but they simply don't need it because the environment was built in a way that they don't need it. And I think this is what policy needs to, to, to do. They have to change the environment. So a sustainable lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle in harmony with nature is the easiest way to go. And, and also for the companies, no? And, and here perhaps a last point. I really like what you said on following through, no? We had all these nice commitments. We had the Paris Agreement. We also here at World Economic Forum have every year very nice co commitments. What's important is really to follow through and also to also shed the light. Sometimes you're very critical with those who are acting, say there are, and we need to be critical now and see that there's no greenwashing, but we should also put the light on those who are not acting. And I think policy needs to try, and I think for instance, Biden's suggestion to, that the government only buys with companies who commit to Paris, who commit to science-based targets. I think that's a smart policy. So that policy tries to leverage also the action from, from companies and somehow gets all companies to act. You no, know? I think this is a smart way to do politics. Perhaps you think I'm paranoid for thinking like this, but just listen to how John Kerry describes everyone at the WEF. They see themselves as godlike creatures who actually think they will save the planet by eliminating cow farts. And when you stop and think about it, it's pretty extraordinary that we select group of human beings because of whatever touched us at some point in our lives are able to sit in a room and come together and uh, actually talk about saving the planet. I mean, it's so almost extraterrestrial to think about, quote, saving the planet. And if you said that to most people, most people, they think you're just a crazy tree-hugging, lefty, liberal, you know, do-gooder, whatever. And, and there's no relationship. But really, that's where we are. Talk about mass delusion. One of the big platform topics this year at Davos was the renewed effort to discuss 15-minute cities. So this video is, is a video of the, the principle of the line, which is really the, how, uh, the, the revolution in urban design that Neom is pioneering. And we can talk a little bit more about that as we go through the rest of the, uh, rest of the panel in the session.
So when I'm looking at this, it's a grid infrastructure. Yeah, so basically the way it works is it's 170 kilometers long, 200 meters wide, 500 meters high. Wow. Um, the height is from the sea level. So as you go inwards and the topography actually goes up, then the height of the actual building structure reduces until you get to the, uh, to the mountains where it actually, you no longer have a mirror line. Mm. Um, the idea is about what we call uh, zero gravity uh, urbanism, which is not necessarily having to be linked and anchored to a ground. How can we think of cities that go vertical and not only hor horizontal? Um, this has many benefits. It's five minutes walk from all of your needs. Um, each module is 800 meters wide and each model will take uh, 80,000 uh, people on average. Obviously, some are going to be more densely populated than others. And when you do it this way, you're, you're only five minutes walk away from your school, your hospital, um, supermarket. The other thing is that the catchment area becomes a lot bigger. The catchment area for businesses becomes an 80,000 catchment area within a five minute walk, which as you can understand, instead of opening many pharmacies or many stores, that one store will service a much bigger catchment area than it typically does in, in, in other cities that have, you know, 15, 20,000 people in even densities catchment areas like New York and London. Um, the idea as well is to reduce the footprint. So imagine 9 million people living on 34 square kilometers. And if you compare that to, to other cities, it's almost the 2% uh, of the size of London, yet taking the same amount of population at its end state. The first module is going to start, is going to finish in 2027, end of 2027. And as you can imagine, this is a generational project. So it will continue to go on until uh, 2045 when uh, the whole project is, is complete. Uh, we think of this as not a start and an end. This is a city that is being built. So it's being designed forever. Yep. And hence the glass walls uh, to, to give it its timeless appeal, as well as a uh, um, integration with nature in a way like uh, you would never see before. We've been hip to this for a while, and we highly suggest you watch C40 Cities, which is an NGO making this happen in multiple cities in America. But the other topic, big topic, was the looming cybersecurity threat, which would bring us all back to the dark ages overnight. So the same people pushing for virtual reality integration and electronic medical devices embedded in our skin also think we need to be wary of some sort of attack on our electric grids and digital infrastructure. We're here today to share the findings of the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Security Outlook uh, Report 2023. This is a result of uh, research in collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner Accenture, which we've uh, interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. Pay insufficient attention to the frightening scenario of a comprehensive cyber attack, which would bring to a complete halt to the power supply, transportation, hospital services, our society as a whole. 
the COVID-19 crisis would be seen in this respect as a small disturbance in comparison to a major cyber attack. Could cyber attacks impact medical devices? Could they hack VR headsets? How would humans survive in, let's say, a week-long blackout from a cyber attack? Well, good thing I've got a gas stove and could still use it during a blackout. It's not like anyone is trying to take these away. So where does this leave us? Who would be cyber attacking? Do we have to even say it? Russia. When in doubt, blame Russia. And the complete and utter war hawking on display at the WEF was simply disgusting. It's not about doing Ukraine favors um, that we're talking about. Supplying Ukraine with weapons, and as President Zelensky very crucially pointed out, supplying Ukraine with the money it needs to win the war is ultimately in our own self-interest. So I'm a finance minister. And if you were to say to me, what is the one thing that G7 finance ministers, G7 governments this year could do that's actually in our power, right? We don't control COVID. We don't control global supply chains. We don't control whether there will be immaculate disinflation or not. One thing where we have some real practical levers is we can help Ukraine win clearly, definitively. And if we do that, if that happens this year, you know it as well as I do, Fareed. That would be a huge boost to the global economy. So I do think Ukraine is going to win. The process, and then we will help recruit the Ukrainians who can actually navigate it, manage it, and then bring it to fruition. And then we will have, we'll be able to show governments of Europe, interagency governmental organizations, and then the private capital, that this is going to be a great place to, to uh, provide assistance with great results. And it's going to tell the private sector, the capitalism alive, that there are going to be great opportunities for fair and just returns. Thank you, Larry. Christoph Freeland, you have uh, you've known Ukraine for, for really for your, all of your life, and I, I wondered what, how much do you think Ukraine has changed? Uh, there was so much talk in the old days of Ukraine and corruption and political dysfunction, and 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 you know I remember talking to you in the in the 90s when you were you were going to Ukraine then. Give us your sense of the trajectory of Ukraine, the transformation of Ukraine. That's why we should help them as much as we can. Let's, let's end this quickly, because it, I think we all know where the story ends. So, you know, okay, I'm a Canadian politician. It's the law that we have to use a hockey metaphor at least once every day. So I'm gonna quote Wayne Gretzky, also partly Ukrainian-Canadian. And one of the great Gretzky lines is, I don't skate to where the puck is, I skate to where the puck is going. This puck is going to Ukrainian victory. So let's skate there. Let's make it happen as quickly as possible. 
with as few people dying, and let's put Larry to work rebuilding Ukraine. The need to come together also for reconstruction of Ukraine. And uh, now, of course, maybe it may sound premature, but we have to prepare ourselves. Could you say some words? It is of utmost importance that, on one hand, globally we raise the necessary investment for reconstruction, but that, on the other hand, at the same time, we do the necessary reforms to move forward. Ukraine wants to become a member of the European Union, and it is a perfect opportunity to take investment and reform to pave this way for Ukraine towards the European Union. And my call on you is, we need every helping hand on board. Ukraine de deserves to have as much support as possible. And what we need is not only investment with the public sector, but the private investment. One year, two years, five years, 10 years, 15 years. We will support Ukraine as long as needed. So BlackRock will rebuild Ukraine, and it doesn't matter how long it takes because we can profit off the war and destabilize Russia, like Freeland said. How about the Finnish prime minister? Granted, she's cute, but she's a psycho. Do you really want us to be supporting Ukraine for 15 years? In July of 2022, we'd already spent more on Ukraine than we did during the first five years in Afghanistan. Do these seem like good people to you? Be honest. Do they? If I just took them all at their words, I would be forced to believe that Klaus Schwab doesn't have any influence on anyone. I'm very often expressing myself, except now I have to explain why we have chosen the scene. But you never have heard from me political statements or economic statements, um, which are, let's say, in any way um, uh, influencing uh, political personalities. I think the answer is obvious. Our politicians are elected to serve us, not the needs of the World Economic Forum. And unless we are specifically asking, they are not to serve the needs of other world nations. Let's use British politician Sir Keir Starmer as an example. Um, let us just ask you quickly. You have to choose now between Davos or Westminster. Davos. Why? <laughs> because Westminster is too constrained. Um, and, you know, it's closed and we're not having meaning. Once you get out of Westminster, whether it's Davos or anywhere else, you actually engage with people um, that you can see working with in the future. Westminster is just a, a tribal shouting place. At our, uh, at our party conference in the autumn of last year, we set our plans for what we call our green prosperity plan, um, going towards clean power generation by 2030. Um, and that's ambitious. That means and here in Davos has been an opportunity for me to speak to many CEOs of uh, businesses and investors who would partner us if we're in government to do that. There's, there does need to be a transition. Obviously, it will play its part during that transition, but not new investment, not new fields up in the North Sea, because we need to um, go towards uh, net zero. We need to um, ensure that renewable energy is where we go next. Bring you in on this. First of all, are you surprised that your prime minister didn't show up to Davos? Uh, 
Yes, I think our Prime Minister should have showed up at <laughs> Davos. Right. I absolutely do. Um, and one of the things that's been, um, you know, impressed on me since I've been here is the absence of the United Kingdom. And that's why it's really important that um, I'm here and that our Shadow Chancellor Rachel Reeves is here as a statement of intent that should there be a change of government, and I hope there will be, um, the United Kingdom will play its part on the global stage in a way I think it probably hasn't in recent years. They don't make knights of the realm like they used to, folks. But we've got our own problems. Republican House Rep. Maria Salazar was at Davos talking about mass amnesty. Overhaul of the immigration system. Because not only we need those hands, like the Congress, like us, a senator was saying, but we need to also give dignity to those people who are in the country. And those are the people that I represent. We're talking about 13, 15 million people who are most of them Hispanics, I would say 85%, who speak my language, look like me, and sound like me, that are contributing with the economy of this country, and they live in the shadows. So it's time to seal the border, like she said, put order, let's see who comes in and who doesn't, and then turn around and give dignity. That doesn't mean path to citizenship, that means to include them and make them dignified members of our community. Thank you. Governor Kemp from Georgia was there too. Those are the only Republicans. They were joined by independent Kristen Cinema. For the Dems, Governor J.B. Pritzker, Representative Mikey Sherrill, Senator Joe Manchin, Senator Chris Coons, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, and you saw dimwit climate envoy John Kerry. There was a shrill clip of Al Gore at Davis as well. Enough already! Enough! And I, I don't want to get sidetracked onto what needs to happen, but we need to scale up climate finance, but we need desperately to scale down anti-climate finance. And we are still subsidizing the burning of fossil fuels globally at a rate 42 times larger than the subsidies for the shift toward renewables and EVs, uh, etc. We need new leadership at the World Bank. We need them to uh, scale up the leverage and vastly increase the amounts that are, are committed. The problem at hand is that we need to hold our politicians' feet to the fire. They answer to us and need to know that we do not approve of their involvement with the WEF. Look at DeSantis. They do this thing in Davos. They're doing it next week. All these elites come in, um, you know, the World Economic Forum. And basically, um, you know, their vision is they run everything and everybody else is just like a serf, like a peasant. They say they're going after energy, ESG, all these other things. And you see the Biden administration wants to, to nix gas stoves. Are you kidding me? Like we need, I want gas stoves. I mean, imagine like you, how many people had the hurricane come through, didn't have power right away, but were able to turn on uh, some. So you, you cannot go down this road, but that's exactly uh, what they want to do. And it's really weakening uh, Western society, Western values. But underlying a lot of that is the CCP. You know, those people are there, they're elites, but you know, Xi is, is, really, um, is, is really kind of the, the puppet behind the curtain on a lot of this stuff. So very, very problematic, I think, in the direction they want to go. And what I've said in Florida is, is that type of stuff coming out of Davos, uh, those policies are, are dead on arrival in the state of Florida. 
he is clear and resolute in how he feels about this issue and good on him. Finally, I want to end on a hopeful note. We aren't alone. Many people do not support or like the WEF. Let's look at the footage of various protests that broke out at Davos. Here, very well protected by guards who are very proud to be part of this. But BlackRock is one of the worst mafias of the world. And that's why here in Davos, we thought it was really a good idea to pay them a visit. great collection of wealth concentrated together in Davos and I'm here with patriotic millionaires from the UK I've come out to join the hike and the protest here because we're in favor of wealth taxes we really want to reduce this level of wealth inequality in the world that's so corrosive to society my message for those guys meeting would be think to yourselves and talk to your friends are you sure you're not the problem rather than thinking you're the solution and actually you lot, you give your government's permission to tax you and to reduce your wealth. Countries like Sri Lanka, Zambia, who are struggling in a major debt crisis, they cannot afford to come out of this crisis because BlackRock refuses to re renegotiate and to cancel this debt that is urgently needed so that we can take climate action and take care of our peoples in the global south. Here is an even better and more robust protest in the Netherlands, denouncing the proceedings at Davos. Let's say they implement some of their agenda and do win for a time. Watch how the English reacted to local traffic neighborhoods. They are much like a diet version of 15-minute cities. 
In the dead of night, a hooded figure removes a base plate for a bollard, then pours cement into the hole. The aim to make it hard to install a new one. This footage, obtained exclusively by ITV Meridian, is one of hundreds of incidents of vandalism in Oxford's local traffic neighbourhoods. Those removing the barriers often don't even wait for the cover of night. Now, new figures show just how much this kind of activity is costing. Delivery drivers, some filmed flouting the rules. Condone it, but I can understand it because they're not listening to us and that's where the anger's coming in. You know, that and people being stuck in traffic. There is no democracy in Oxford. Wanton vandalism or a form of civil disobedience. The human spirit will prevail. We will win. But we must be willing to fight. We must fight like the Hungarian foreign minister Peter Zazetto, who openly cited how ideological hard-headedness shuts down fruitful environmental discussion. Green became an ideology instead of a real attempt to protect the environment. And I think that the game changer will be whether nuclear will be adopted as a green and sustainable way of generating electricity or not. In Hungary, as I told you, we are uh, not rich in natural resources. We don't want to ruin our um, environment either. That's why we do believe in nuclear. We are now uh, doubling the nuclear capacity of the country. We have a more than 40 year long experience with using nuclear, which considered or which proved to be a cheap, safe, green, sustainable way of generating energy. Uh, millions of tons of CO2 emission is being prevented. Billions of cubic meters of imported gas is being avoided with nuclear. But as long as there's an ideological debate about what is green and what is not, and not a professional one, I think this whole um, principle or whole uh, idea of green transition might fail. Or the Serbian president, Aleksandr Vucic, discussing his country's greatest athlete. Do you think it's fair that uh, Novak Djokovic is still being denied access to some countries because of vaccine requirements? I believe that uh, it's not fair, and uh, that's one of the reasons that I believe that he's going to be very defiant and that he's going to win a struggle and open this year. Thank you, sir. So that was the World Economic Forum 2023 Summit. Hope you all enjoyed this dystopian horror show. Do not submit. Fight these bastards. Give them the finger and tell them to F off. Until next time, this is your fearless leader, Rob Smith of the opposition. Over and out. Time for the conversation. And I see a man who is hard to miss. You are not superior to me. I and the people who love God are superior to you. You will pay for what you've done. What do you think the lizard I... people are charged? No. Is that what you think? Hey, you're pissed. Fill now, the Is that what you think? You just need to move on, though. Bullshit. Thank you.